Welcome to The Trauma Room, a podcast that triggers. We will discuss all things traumatic here. Mental health disorders, movies, TV shows, love, life, etc. Will the topics trigger some? Of course they will. But to get past the trauma, you will have to get to the room. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, so... Let's talk more about the narcissistic abuse cycle. So the first part it starts off is idealization, which is also known as love bombing. So it all starts here. That's flattery, gifts, praises, approval, gushing, attention, rewards, acts of perceived kindness, all of the above. Next is a transition where you set a boundary You see that whatever they're doing is foolish. You call them out. They either meet a new source of supply because they don't like what you're saying or you don't give them what what they want. After that is uh, devaluation, which is where it's cruelty, criticism, disapproval, rejection, rage, triangulation, or silent treatment. And part of the silent treatment is when a narcissist will stop talking to you basically because they can't take accountability for their actions in order to resolve issues with others. So part of the devaluation part is when they will point out every little thing that is wrong with you in any kind of way but when you point it out as a victim back to them they're done because they don't want to hear nothing is wrong with them they want to do all the criticizing all the speaking and you just listen and take it but silence is their way of showing hatred disdain and revenge for pointing out their toxic and abusive behaviors And their way of controlling you and feeling more powerful. Because that's the only way they can feel powerful in that state is making you seem like something's wrong with you. And then after that is another transition where they either discard you or you yourself go no contact. Which means not talking to them in any way. Or they suck you back in and they suck you back in by possibly love bombing or idealization or saying they're sorry and from there it goes to the basically a feedback loop constantly where it transitions between idealization and devaluation which causes more gaslighting more thinking you're insane and more like what's wrong with me what's going on and it's not it's not you Like, I'm here to say it's not you. It's not you, you know, it's not you thinking like something's wrong with you because there there isn't anything wrong with you. So it's not you. It's, It's just them and their only way is to do projection of everything. So the control and abuse is a lot of it and then they also have a rage part where they become angry sometimes uh, and puts the victim in their place 
And it's actually called a shame rage. So it's when they're like, I'm going to not talk to you. Or it is a way where they allow them to not deal with their feelings and just get angry at the person that they believe is invoking shame. But it's actually them being shameful themselves. They will blame or discard you and they become passive aggressive. The It's called rage shame cycle. The rage shame cycle is based in entitlement that they are constantly at risk of of being shamed and they they don't personalize the same rage cycle it's not what is actually happening and they don't have compassion and then they go from net to calm where they apologize make excuses and then they go back to love bombing where it's like i love you and so you can see like all of this is just gaslighting because it's it's just really confusing like one part partner disappoints narcissist so let's go back first part narcissist love bombs you then you inevitably disappoint them because you're a person then they invoke injury then they devalue you then you confront them over that then they deflect then you try to repair the relationship and maintain who you are as a person, then they discard you or give you the silent treatment, then you suffer from crippling doubt and pain and confusion because you're just confusing, then they hoover, then the relationship is it restored, the partner is conditioned to expect abuse, and the cycle continues, or you will go no contact at the end. But even like if you go no contact for a while, it is still easy to go into back into the relationship. But here's what like actually hoovering is. Say you're out of town and you get a random text from your ex that says like I miss you. It's been over a year since you've cut off all ties. So what gives? It's these kind of messages that uh, be it's called like hoovering. It's kind of confusing confusing to see if this is actually a, like a sincere reconciliation or a attempt at someone to suck you back in to a te- toxic relationship. But it's like contacting you out of the blue. So <sighs> this one is like sending DMs or texts out of the blue trying to reel you back in. Watch out for messages of nostalgia, seemingly blind questions that the point isn't to know the answer, it's to draw your focus back onto them. Here are some phrases to watch out for during hoovering. Hey, I'm just checking on you. That's the ultimate hoovering phrase if there ever was one. Perfect example in a personal case. I have not talked to this person in six years. No contact in six years. All of a sudden, one day, I get this DM. It says, hey, I'm just checking on you. Here's the thing about that, though, guys. 
I haven't talked to this person in six years. So what are you checking on? It's not like you've been a part of my life. So what are you checking on? It doesn't make any sense. Like what, what are you checking on? There's nothing to check on. I've been, I've been fine this whole time. Like it's not anything to check on. Like it's, it's just not. And it's, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Like it really, really does not make any sense. Like even like thinking about it in a way like makes me kind of want to throw up. <laughs> and it's been that long ago because it came out of nowhere. So these Hoover in Texas will come out of nowhere. Another example is I'm watching our movie, Thinking of Us, or do you still have that t-shirt, or I dreamt about you. It's like, where is this coming from? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, especially because it's coming from a place of they don't really care if you're, how you're doing. They're really not checking on you. And the funny thing is, like, I was hoovered, like, every, uh, every year and a half. Like every year and a half, I would be no contact, and then it would be like contact. But then the ultimate hoovering is the sixth year where it's like, hey, I'm just checking on you. Like, and then asking questions like, how are you doing health wise? Like, how are you doing? Like, person, it's been six years. So I'm, I'm clearly alive. <laughs> I'm clearly, I'm not dead. I'm clearly alive. So it's just ridiculous. Then they might act overly apologetic about past events, trying to convince you that they've changed. When used as a hoovering tactic, these apologies are performance and manipulative undertones. You have to ask yourself, do they become upset if you try to shift a conversation? If so, their sorry might not be sincere. Reaching out on important dates. Making contacts during the holidays or your birthday can be a way to get you to answer the text or phone. So I will say like sometimes when people reach out, it could be actually reaching out like, hey, this person was important to me. It's their birthday. Let me say happy birthday. But if you're dealing with a narcissistic person. That's not the case. That's not the case. Especially like, oh, you haven't contacted me in six years. Why are you contacting me now? Well, it was around our birthdays and I was thinking about you. That doesn't make sense because you haven't reached out in six years to say happy birthday. You know? So why now? I will give a, a case, an example of that where it wasn't, it was just actually genuine. Like when COVID happened, I was like, oh my gosh, like, let me check on people. So even with friends that I haven't talked to in years, I was like, hey, I'm just checking on you to see how you're doing. And, you know, with friendships like that, you know, our friendship maybe was rekindled. But with a, if a narcissist does that, it's not like trying to rekindle a friendship because you don't even have one. Is trying to put 
It's trying to make you think about them because their supply has ended, which in the case that I mentioned, their supply had just ended, so they were looking for a supply in me again. Declaring their undying love, making sweeping proclamations of love to warm you up and remember the good times. They might say, you're the perfect partner for me. You're my soulmate and we belong together. No one else makes me feel this way. Promising you stuff, using other people to get to you, regularly chatting with your parents, telling mutual friends, using your kids as a, a way to get to you. Which this hoovering in my case went so far as I hadn't talked to this person in six years. I will say that. And once I like went no contact again or didn't talk to them, they ironically reached out to someone that they knew as a like friend of mine. But at the time they reached out, I was no longer talking to that person. So they reached out to that person like, oh, hey, you're such a great person to to this person. I'm excited. I'm glad you were. And I never got the message because I was never talking to them at that point. But when I did get it, it was like, okay, years later. So uh, ridiculous. Also, another big ultimate hooving thing from personal experience is where this person, the same narc, I want to say narc Bob, <laughs> but mm, what's a generic name? Joe? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, I just keep saying this person. So this person reached out to this person that went to school with me and started off like, hey, you may know this girl I'm talking about. If so, let's just keep it under wraps. And the thing is, you have actually, that they have actually met this person. So they know for a fact, I know this person that you're telling if they know me to keep under wraps. So it's like they go do stuff like that. To, so the person could be like, hey, this person contacted me. And you'd be like, oh, I need to call them and see what's going on. But the thing is, you don't do that. We still just stay no contact. Desperately needing help. They might say they're in a crisis or emergency. Or they might try to pull at your heartstrings by saying they've had a death in the family. Which, like I was saying, some of this stuff can be hoovering. But some of it is just things. Like when I had a medical emergency, I did reach out to... A narcissistic abuser of mine because I had just recently been in contact with them and because I was in the hospital dying yeah so that that can be real they also make outlandish accusations um for example if you don't answer their call or text they accuse you of dating one of their friends in a way to bait you for a response they also pretend like nothing happened. They randomly show up at your place or your work asking to drive you back home as if nothing happened. They threaten to hurt themselves. The issues with this is that basically when it comes to hoovering, you shouldn't engage. And the crazy thing is that especially with narcissistic abusers, I feel like victims can 
also have instances of hoovering as well. Because I feel like also with narcissism, you take on like your captive's narcissism as well. Or even just because you, you know, you think that person is like your life. So I can definitely see where that can happen. Ignoring a narcissist who ignores you only encourages them to hoover. They know that you won't respect dignity and love. They will exhibit behaviors that fool you into thinking they have really changed. But these behaviors are completely contrived to suck you back in. Narcissistic hoovering refers to attempts made by a narcissist to bring you back into their life, often after a period of distance on your part. Especially is this a new behavior for you, the narc might hold off for a short while to see if you're really serious about creating distance. So I would definitely say, like, the example that I made, like, when I was in the hospital, I don't consider it a form of hoovering because it wasn't a short distance that I had talked to them. I had literally been in communication for them. Like, we had been off of communication. And even in this, however long ago, I feel myself, like, trying to explain, <laughs> like, and I don't have to explain. First of all, because it's my podcast, so I can say what I want. But that's what, like, hoovering is. And they they do that. And then, like, previously, they will block you, but they will unblock you when the supply gets low. If you follow the supply lines, they return to again and again. When a new primary supply gets stale, it doesn't pan out. They will automatically turn to old haunting grounds. Being blocked is a punishment for some transgression or another, no matter how minor, but also to initiate control. Once they believe enough pain has been inflicted, they show their leniency by unblocking you, but also to see how keen you are to contact. And that's what they do. They hoover, block, hoover, intimidate, control. And it's very, very unstable. It's just unstable to the point where you shouldn't you shouldn't even try to refute, like, what's going on to them. I mean, to yourself, obviously, you should, you know. But here's another thing. The Gnostics believes a possibility remains of brainwashing you back into make-believe world as you retain some usefulness as supply. Hoovering will hit hard. They will suck you in by exploiting the knowledge they have of you, activating the triggers programmed by the abuse. You can expect love-bombing fake apologies and pleas or demands that target for what they want. Don't be fooled. Not one of their words are genuine and worthy of your attention. So here's some examples like hoovering a third party contacts you backhanded. How are you? Plock proclamation, epiphany and change flip. Did you call me? False concern. I heard you were sick. Accidental. Sorry that was for someone else. Sentimental. Thinking of you on our anniversary. Crisis. I was in an accident. Object. Do you still have my book? Bait and ghost. Send you a message. Wait for a response. And then ghost you. It's all about where they can get their supply from. If they cannot get their supply from you, then they don't need you. And like I said, like with my example, I had not talked to this person for literally six years. And I promise you, as soon as they broke up with their 
person at the time, they literally contacted me. Hey, just checking on you. Like, that's that's classic narcissism. Like, and then the follow-up things were like, I just wanted to make sure you were alive. Why wouldn't I be alive? Like, I've been out here living my life. So, it's it's a destructive pattern that is all about control. It's all about control. It's all about threats of control. And it's all about what they can get away with. And as soon as they cannot get away with anything, that's when it goes downhill. That's when they block you. That's when they like, well, I don't need you. Or you're, they go into a rage spiral. Like, I'm going to block you to teach you a lesson. Like, you, like you're punishing people. But the thing is, like, after you've gotten away from the narc and they try, like, some of the same tactics... It's like, this isn't going to work because I know like what I'm dealing with now. And I would say, honestly, like, especially with a narcissistic abusive relationship, you should probably go no contact forever. Like, even if they contact you after six years and you're like, oh, well, I could be nice and just ask their question. No, it always will be turned back on you some kind of way and then once they see like you've moved on fully like if you're in a relationship or anything that's when they like get even more bitter like oh I really had someone say this to me this is like it was hoovering like the steps like all the steps hey just checking on you just want to make sure you're alive then when I respond and ask why it's been six years Oh, well, I really just want to make sure you weren't really dead. Really? Then, after that, well, I was just thinking about you on around your birthday. So, which is it? You thought I was dead or you were thinking about me on my birthday? Like, if I'm dead, I don't have a birthday. So, how were you thinking of me? And why are you checking on me? Like, we're not friends. We're not associates. We're nothing. So... You can't just, you know, say that, you know, granted, you know, it's experiences like COVID, a whole pandemic where someone might reach out or you might reach out in a friendship and, you know, think about it. But like relationship wise, like even one of the people I used to know, I just asked one of our mutual friends like, hey, how's this person doing during the pandemic? Or like even with the other like person, okay, it's a pandemic. I'm just going to be nice. I'm not hoovering because I'm not trying to gain anything from you. I'm just literally trying to, you know, make sure people that I know I find, even if those people are a-holes. So it wasn't during a no contact time and it wasn't to be manipulative like to put the person back in my life because they were still in my life in some kind of way. And I literally went to the ER and almost died. So (laughs) that's not like, oh, make them worry. It's like, no, that really happened. So I was going to take that out, but I'm not because I'm not ashamed of anything in my life. And I will definitely tell y'all, like, if I was a part of something that 
I feel like was horrible on my part as well, which I will say definitely not in that case, but in other cases, I will say, yes, sometimes I definitely was a lunatic. Was it for no reason? I would say if it was just a regular person, it would have been for no reason. But dealing with a narc and being gaslighted to the point of not knowing who you are, I can see, which I'm not validating, you know, lunatic behavior or insanity behavior. I'm just saying I definitely see why I did some of the things I did. And I am like, oh my good gracious, that was pretty rough. But like I said, like it's a narcissistic relationship is a cycle. And that cycle, you know, isn't just for the narcissist, it's a victim too. I could definitely see like the victim becoming somewhat, not like a full-blown narcissist in a relationship, but just carrying on the traits because like when you're being love bombed and gaslit as well, you want to continue to hear those things. So it's not like you're becoming a narcissist, but it's more of you you yearning for the validation. So I guess in a way, narcissists yearn for validations. And then with the cycle, their victims yearn for validations as well. But it's more of a validation that one has been conditioned validation and one is just yearning for a validation due to insecurities so it's a wild place out there I think as soon as we become accountable to ourselves especially like our past traumas and just think about like our part in it and the other person part but especially our part and just recognizing like our behaviors as well then you see like Okay, I understand, like, what happened. I understand what went on, and and that's that's what happened. And so I just feel like narcissism, the ideology, and then the, the devaluing, and then it's all a cycle that includes trauma, and in my case, spiritual abuse. It's just... I don't know, and I can't help but like give personal examples and anecdotes because it really is coming from that place. So it's not just me like coming from something I never experienced, coming just from an educational point, just being like, oh, okay. It's coming from like this ish really happened to me and it almost killed me in many different ways and levels. So if in some way people hearing bits and pieces of my story mixed with just what generalization this is can help them realize like they need help or they need to get out. I'm all for self-reflection and self-awareness. So, and that's what it's all about. It's all about being able to look at your trauma and not dwell in it and not like Try to push past it when you're going through it. But just persevere in that moment, knowing you're experiencing a traumatic event or PTSD and just recognizing, like, what's reality. So, and it's all about not not getting hoovered. 
<laughs> remember, guys, if anyone, an ex-friend, ex-relationship, ex-family member, current family member, just goes out of their way to be like, just checking on you, it's probably not just checking on you. It's, I don't have a supply anymore, and I know you used to be one of my good supplies, so I'm back trying to make myself feel better. And that's when you just continue no contact. Once again, thanks for listening to The Trauma Room, a podcast that triggers. The next patient will be seen shortly.